Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson, and it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown. Jones is just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is time to answer some mailbag questions with our friend who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at jetsinsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. Chris, what's going on, sir? Ah, you know, it's a little bit of a gloomy morning. Sipping some coffee, getting ready. Talk some New York Jets football. So, Chris, before we get started, we got a ton of questions asking what you thought of the interview that George Chirori did with me, a two-parter on the show, debating the value and the process and all that of trading up twice in the draft, once for Jermaine Johnson and once for Brees Hall. And I know you didn't listen to the whole thing. You only listened to bits and pieces of it. But I was curious to get your reaction because a lot of people wanted to know what you thought. Yeah, I I can only stomach so much of this argument at this point. Um, And then also I conflate all of the people who are arguing against this. I I like put it in like a jumbo pot and I end up uh, like criticizing stuff that one person said that they didn't actually say it was somebody else from the analytics community. But listen, this just I, I am as much you guys, anyone that listens knows I constantly harp on process over results. Right. I talk about things about the same way. I am not a, uh, you know, uh, somebody who objects to analytics. I want all the information. Give me all the information. Uh, I am not somebody who's just going to every single decision in life. I'm just going to punch numbers in a calculator and let the, the calculator tell me what to do there. That's not how I'm going to do this. So I'm going to take in all the information and I'm going to weigh in my head. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to say, okay, I've took all this information in. I'm going to match it up with what I need to do. And I'm going to try to make sense and make it mesh here. Um, 
it, so like again in theory i yes the idea of trading back is you're going to lose that more often than you're going to win that but there's another thing i say all the time there's exceptions to every rule right and in these instances there's literally thousands of exceptions here there's the exceptions of the fact that they uh this was a poor draft class depth wise why why uh, you know, keep those fifth, sixth, seventh picks, those late round picks in a weak draft class. In my opinion, it makes more sense to package it up and get more uh, higher percentage uh, dart throws. The, this lottery ball, uh, balls is how they want to look at it, right? And our dart throws, however, right? more dart throws, you get more chances on hitting on players. Everybody can agree with the math there. But it's like a lottery, like the NBA lottery. It's weighted, you know? So, yeah, every chance, every pick can hit. But the, the number one pick has a great, much – we know they bust. They bust. But there's a much higher percentage of that hitting than the, you know, fifth-round draft pick hitting. Every time you drop down, those percentages do increase. Uh, I mean, decrease a little bit. And, yes, okay, you are – obviously putting effort into your evaluation process here but like shouldn't you like i i i'm on board with the notion that all of us that all these scouts and evaluators get stuff wrong a lot and i i'm also a believer that most of the stuff that makes it impossible about scouting is like mental stuff I think if it was only having – you only had to worry about what you saw on film and how that translates, I think scouting would go a lot easier. I think the problem is it's really hard to understand how these kids coming from college will handle money, handle success, handle fame, handle NFL responsibility and workload. I think that's where uh, this evaluation process really falls apart in the NFL. But you, you can't just – have these scouts that just don't scout and don't evaluate. You still have to go and do some type of rankings. How, like, how do these uh, analytics guys propose going about, uh, you know, putting together a draft board if they don't believe in anybody's inherent ability to scout at all? Uh, Like how, how can they always say, oh, you can always just drop back and take Mafe? Well, yeah, but how do you have any uh, like con- confidence that Mafe is any good when you don't have any confidence that Thibodeau is any good? Uh, and then you say it's impossible that any of them could be good. So everything they do holds weight and everything they say holds up logically. But it's because it's, they can always just kick it down the can down the road to some other hypothetical that can't be uh, uh, shown as true. That that's how it always works. I I was using this last year the ABT trade up, which I think you can you can criticize the process of that a lot more. I think that's a lot more valid. But because of the situation and everything. Uh, with the rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson, the terrible roster construction, Mike Cagnon, the offensive line was such a mess. Joe Douglas looked around at his available options and said, I need to go get ABT because I don't like my other options here. And there was one, just, just take Tevin Jenkins instead. 
Well, great. They didn't like Tevin Jenkins in the system. They didn't like him moving into guard, and they hated his medical. And then he had he had back surgery before the season last year. But he got to stick his flag and then should have stayed put and take Tevin Jenkins. And he wasn't hearing any criticism about it after all that. Just perfectly happy to ignore all that context of why the Jets would never consider him. The Brees Hall is another thing because, yes, in a vacuum, you can always wait and take a running back. But you did that last year. It's why you didn't take a Javante Williams and you said you got Michael Carter. Now you got Michael Carter. You don't want to just wait for any running back. You don't want to end up with a, a Michael Carter clone. You want an explosive power downhill guy. Now you got that guy, but he can also be a 30-touch – like. Also, I'm sorry, is Dalvin Cook a bad draft pick? Is Joe Mixon a bad draft pick? Jonathan Taylor a bad draft pick? Nick Chubb a bad draft pick? These are all running backs that got picked in the high second round. Uh, now, there's some there's some in there that didn't go, go well, but revisionist history and everything. Maybe I don't want to sign some guys to second contracts, even though a lot of those, uh, some of them have. But uh, I'm absolutely good with uh, drafting any of those guys in the second round. And, yes, running backs, you know, hard to predict uh, draft picks, but running backs one of the easier ones to predict. I'm, I just don't understand. I can understand being like, yeah, hey, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. I cannot understand getting worked up and being like, I'm going on every pod imaginable to defend this take. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's dip right into the mailbag and start answering some questions. Noel Skelton says, first off, love the podcast. Thank you for winning the trade-up debate and defending the Jets fans' one shining moment. Well, you're welcome, although whether or not I actually won the debate is up to you to decide. Clearly, you think I won, and I appreciate that. I encourage anybody who hasn't listened to myself and George Tarori of PFF to go listen to that discussion. It's in two parts. I thought it was really interesting. George brought up some very compelling arguments, even if I disagree. We went back and forth. Nobody yelled and screamed. I thought it was a productive conversation. So if you haven't heard it yet, please go and listen. Noel continues. Here's my question. Shouldn't we as Jets fans thank Adam Gase who brought Joe Douglas in, who then in turn selected Salah after Gase was gone? The Jets finally have great leadership and are headed in the right direction. Well, listen, it's still TBD with Douglas and Salah. I like what they've done on paper, but ultimately this has to pan out on the field. We've talked about this a lot of other times. But obviously, if Joe Douglas does work out, then yeah, you got to thank Adam Gase. And ultimately, it's kind of funny because we'll never know whether or not Sam Darnold could have succeeded with a different coach. But if you look at how poorly he played, he was so bad that maybe what Gase actually did was speed up the timeline and accelerated to the point where the Jets were in position to draft a quarterback high in a good quarterback draft. Now, will Zach Wilson be the quarterback that Jets fans have been waiting for for decades? That I can't tell you yet. But if he does become that quarterback, and if Joe Douglas is the guy that everybody is hoping he is as the general manager, then yeah, I guess indirectly you have to thank Adam Gase because none of that would have been possible without him coming in here, shoving Mike McCagnan out the door, and accelerating the timeline of Sam Darnold's failure. So in a weird way, if the Jets succeed with Douglas and Wilson, 
Case will be indirectly responsible for a significant portion of that. I'm about to issue a challenge to to all the listeners here. This isn't a real challenge because I don't actually expect anyone to do this. But uh, anybody want to go dig in the archives of this podcast to before Adam Gase was hired and listening to, I don't know, I had no idea which episode it was. So it'd be a lot of digging. That's why I don't expect anyone to actually do this. But, uh, and this is a crazy thing that, that like this conversation really happened. Uh, There was a point in time where we were actually sitting here debating about Adam Gase and Mike McCarthy. (laughs) <laughs> and and I remember specifically being like, hey, no, I made this argument on this podcast. I was like, actually, no, definitely hire Adam Gase over Mike McCarthy because Adam Gase will just be an absolute flame-flowing disaster tire fire that'll be gone in two years, and McCarthy will take three or five years to get rid of. <laughs> uh, that is a take I know for certain I gave mm-hmm. somewhere on this pod right before G- Gase was uh, hired. So a lot, a lot of listening, but uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, man, uh, this is the other thing with Joe Douglas part of it because – I was talking about this the other day with a friend. Like, you need to make sure you you guys, you get Jets fans really need Zach Wilson to be the guy here. Um, I'm not saying Joe Douglas is is the smartest, greatest GM ever, but he as since I've been covering this team, he's easily hands down the most competent person running this organization. And sure, of course, it's possible to be able to find somebody more uh, competent and better to run this organization. I certainly do not trust the Johnsons to, to do that though. So yeah, um, it, it, it's really hard for me to give any type of accurate assessment on Joe Douglas. Cause I'm just like, I can't imagine getting anything more competent from the, the Johnson's hiring process, but uh, you know, he, he's done a lot of really good things. He's also, there's, there's some head scratchers, and Salah, there's some currents there, but it. Listen, he's set this team up right now. That if Zach Wilson is good, he does. It, we don't how good that that's down the road to worry about. But if he's just good, then this team is going to start being competitive, and that's exactly what the fans want. Chris, I think if Joe Douglas ends up working out in the end, Adam Gase should start a consulting business because he would have done a much better job of recommending somebody the Jets hire than Corn Ferry or Charlie Casserly. <laughs> that, that is true. And yes, then never, ne- that's the biggest proof why no team should ever hire those people again. I am still baffled that teams use those services. <laughs> Next question comes in from Christian Ashholt, and it really is on point considering what we were just talking about with the decision makers in the Jets organization. He says, how did Mike McCagnan actually get to be a real life general manager? I'm perplexed how a general manager can do such a bad job, like some random dude just walked into a hospital and started doing open heart transplants. And then he puts Warren Sharp's data in front of us. Warren Sharp has this as the teams with the most dead cap space the last three years compared to the least dead cap space now. The Jets had $117 million in dead cap space the last three years. Now they have $2 million. It just shows you how terrible Mike McCagnin was 
at negotiating free agent contracts and deciding who to sign because they almost never worked out and he overpaid past sticker price so many times and it was just an absolute mess. It's crazy. The funny thing is, Chris, not only was Mike McCagnin the worst general manager in the history of this franchise, and I can say that with great confidence because... As everybody knows, Jets history is a passion of mine. It's partially why I'm going insane at a relatively young age. But he is by far the worst. And people can point to, say, somebody like John Idzik. John Idzik was only here for two years, and at least he had a plan that made sense. It didn't ultimately work out, but he had a plan that made sense. Mike McCagnin, you couldn't figure out what the hell he was even trying to do. One minute he's going all in to try to win. The next minute he's trying to sell you on a rebuild. Then he's going all in again. Then he's making all these weird moves and terrible free agent signings. Just completely incoherent on top of being terrible. He got everything wrong that you could possibly get wrong. He was like King Midas in reverse. Everything he touched turned to crap. So it's just incredible that this guy was a general manager for five years. Five years, Chris. Yeah, uh, well, here's the thing. This is exactly how it happened. Uh, Idzik is how it happened. Um, and it's because uh, they went and hired Idzik they, with the plan of we are going to tank and we are going to be bad. And we are going to, you know, dig our way out of it this way. But, at, and everybody was on board with this plan at first. But then the tanking happened. And everyone's like, oh, this doesn't feel so good. And then he came out with that pre that press conference and it was and everybody just piled on him and drove him <laughs> out. And I remember at the time I was like, listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and defend the, the picks that he was making so much. But you can't hire a GM with the plan to be bad for a couple years and tank, and then just fire him two years into the process. You you can't do that, and but they did that, and then they were set up in that position where nobody wanted to work for them. Nobody wanted to come into that situation to clean up that mess. Idzik was coming to clean up Tannenbaum's mess. They didn't even let him get two years into the cleanup before they drove him out. Nobody wanted anything to do with that. So that's why the Johnsons had to go. What Woody Johnson had to go the Charlie Casserly route. And Charlie Casserly went and found somebody that used to get him coffee and that he really liked. <laughs> um, and that I'm, I'm going a bit exaggerating, insulting there with uh, with that. That but Mike McCagan was never a, on path to be a GM. There was never going to be the case of Mike McCagan being a GM. But the Jets' job opened up. They couldn't find uh, get a serious candidate. They go and get Charlie Casserly, Casserly to give his opinion, and he finds his buddy Mike McCagnin. That's exactly how that happened. Um, but yeah, it's it is funny because thinking back on like the McCagnin era, the reason part of the reason why it went on for so long. And, and with he wasn't getting criticism, you know, obviously they had the, the decent first year where they almost made the playoffs, but, and he won executive of the year, which was, I, mean, I said at the time, you can't even give him credit for that because he just spent a whole bunch of money and made a bunch of obvious moves. Um, but then everything fell apart around him. But because that 
they just fired Inzik after two years. Everyone kind of agreed that you can't do that again. So they just gave McCagnan more time. And even, you know, a month before we found out McCagnan was out the door, most of the beat is still uh, defending him and protecting him, even though he was, I, I said, two years in, I was like, this is just as bad as Idzik. Three years in, this is just as bad as Idzik. Four years in, this is worse than Idzik. Like, what, what are we doing here? Um, but... It was because of Isaac only getting two years because they couldn't get all of that is because of what happened with the debacle with Idzik. And again, Idzik owns a lot of that as well, especially that press conference, because that's just indefensible. But it all stems from that. That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. Make sure you follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Visit PlayLikeAJet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel to check out everything we're doing over there. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, has got some great All-22 breakdowns of all the Jets draft picks. Plus, he just did a review of Zach Wilson's improvement after he came back from injury last year. Watch all the videos and subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams, Bless You, Thank You shirt, the Zach Says Go Long shirt, the Zach the Ripper shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies, it's all there, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. <laughs>